This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club; it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. And in the spirit of an enlightened future, TrekFan is absolutely free—not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number one hundred forty-eight. General Order, Jack Bauer. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Charlene Schmidt. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including Robert Picardo, the realtor. TMZ's 1991 time travel question, and a behind-the-scenes look at Star Trek Continues. Then, in the feature, we're joined by Drew Stewart and Eric Brazier to discuss the TOS episode "A Taste of Armageddon." So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Char. It's uh, it's not Voyager Week, is it? Here on the show, I thought we were doing the original series today.、Uh, what are you doing here? That's a really good question. I feel like I never really left. I think I might have just been camping out in the cot in the back, and I've just been here all along. All right. Well, well you're really quiet. I try. The other alternative is maybe you were walking out of your house, and I ran up to you like I work for TMZ. And I shoved a mic in front of your face and asked you to co-host the show with me today. <laughs> and then I blacked out, and I don't know what's happened since. Hmm. I guess maybe、yeah. I don't know. I don't really like that kind of attention. They just get really up in your face. It's really creepy. They really do. So, Shar, it was the Fourth of July there in the United States. This was the Fourth of July weekend. Everyone there、mm-hmm. celebrating. That's one thing that I miss. It's not so much the the holiday itself. I miss barbecue. Did you do、uh, anything fun for the Fourth of July? Well, we had some friends over, and we actually have a very nice view of fireworks displays throughout the area from our deck. So、uh, we just watched that kind of a nice three sixty view of fireworks. We had the West Fargo show going, other people, and then also residents here are allowed to shoot off their own fireworks, and so. Well, we've been hearing that for a couple days now, but at the time it was really cool to have everybody shooting off their fireworks as well as the official shows. We got a lot of fireworks. All right. Well, cool for you. Now, Tyler and I were going to record an episode of Warp Five the other day,、uh-huh. and we had to call it off because of everyone shooting fireworks outside <laughs> of his house. I'm grateful、so、my neighbors have、that. toned it down. Otherwise, we'd be hearing some stuff. Yeah. As well. Well, Shar. As a result of it being the Fourth of July, really the whole week there in the states, news has been really, really light. 
some listeners may know, I do a news show every day on the network called Hyper Channel, where mm-hmm. I talk about Star Trek news. And it's it's been hard to pull together topics over the past week. And so we don't have a lot to talk about on the Ready Room this week either. So it's probably going to be a shorter news segment. And then we'll get into the feature where we're joined by Landrew and also by Eric Brazier of Trek About to talk about a taste of Armageddon. Before we do that, though, we do have a few things to talk about. And one of them, it's not really a Star Trek story. So I I really don't want to go in depth into it, mm-hmm. but because you do co-host our Voyager show to the journey. To the journey. I wanted to ask you what <laughs> to the journey. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what you thought about this story of Robert Picardo putting his house on sale. You know what? If I had seven point two million dollars, I would certainly pick this up, but I don't have anywhere close to it, so best of luck to you, rich folk. Yeah, it's 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 pretty pricey. Although I I did like the fact that the house is being repped by Coldwell Banker, so it's yeah. just your your ordinary Joe Realty Company. Yeah, it's not I mean they could sell super my house, fancy. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but then they're also selling this gorgeous thing in Pasadena, and it really is beautiful. I mean, whoever buys this house, they're getting a beautiful, beautiful place to call home. It is it is nice. The first thing I thought about was real life where mm-hmm. we actually get to see the doctor's home uh-huh. when he has the family on the holodeck and like, how does that compare? Uh, but but yeah, this is really nice. So I guess we would say that the holographic doctor and Robert Picardo have pretty good taste. Yeah, I would think so. Certainly if I had the money, I would definitely uh, put myself in the, the market for this. But alas, I'm neither in California nor do I have the money. And so someone else gets to snatch it up. Yeah, I'm sure he will unload it. Well, the first real story that we have today goes back to our joke about TMZ at the beginning. This is a case of TMZ apparently accosting Brandon Braga as he was coming out of a building. That's certainly the impression I get from the video Mm -hmm. is that they were waiting outside and Brandon just walked out and they shoved a camera and a mic in his face to ask him... (laughs) A 20-year-old question about (laughs) Kirk versus Picard. Char, also on the other side of the room... The other side of the room. I asked you if you've ever heard the Weird Al Yankovic song, TMZ. And Weird Al also did a song called White and Nerdy. Oh, yes. In that song, he says... Only question I ever thought was hard. Do I like Kirk or do I like Picard? (laughs) That's what they did to Brandon here. They really did. And you know what my thought was as I watched the video of this? Not only was it creepy to see them just shoving cameras in his face and demanding attention, but then I thought, you know what? Okay, 1991 called. They want their debate back. Okay. <laughs> That's great. We have been yeah. discussing this for how long? Is there really a right answer? Does it really matter what Brandon Braga thinks? I mean, What? You've got nothing else better to do, guys? Leave him alone. Really? I mean, Cosmos is what you should be asking him about right now. Yes! Winning awards. that's what's really popular right now. Bringing back Carl Sagan's wonderful series. Yeah. Plus, Brandon's got Salem out. He's got all this stuff going on. Uh You're going to ask him about Star Trek. Well, Uh well, let's just see what we think about his answer, though. That's what I really (laughs) wanted to ask you about. I'm not here so much to rag on... TMZ, although it's kind of hard for me to take TMZ seriously. Me too. So just focusing on Brandon's words, what he said, they asked him, 
which do you prefer? And he said, they're going to kill me if I pick one, talking about us as the fans. Mm-hmm. And he's For right. For me personally, if I were going to serve under a captain, it would probably be Kirk. I'd have a little more fun. He likes to have fun. Picard was more buttoned down. So now Patrick Stewart is going to unfollow me on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure it's already <laughs> been done. Yeah, just click. <laughs> well, okay. I, You know what? With the way this debate has gone for so long, if you want a little bit of action and rough and tumble time and space, you do go with Kirk. If you want more stability and diplomacy, you go for Picard. It's a matter of preference to your own personality and what you want out of your life. And uh, eh, what I found a little more interesting was when they were asking him about Star Trek Generations. And they said, do you still get flack for that for 20 years later? And his response was perfect. He said, the fact that you're asking me, that is the answer to the question. And (laughs) so uh, I feel bad for him in a way for having to get flack on something for 20 years. But lo and behold. Yeah, um, yeah, people keep keep on asking that question. And for TMZ, I mean, get some new material. Seriously, man. Yeah. Ask him about Cosmos for crying out loud. Who doesn't know that that exists right now? And it's a beautiful series. Do we really need to talk about Kirk versus Picard yet again and still? Yeah. I don't know. Well, they had some airtime to fill, so they do that. I People are probably thinking that about us right now, too. You guys have some airtime to fill, so you're going to talk about this TMZ story. But well, and I the wonder. last thing here, the last thing here, they asked him, who would you rather have a drink with, Shatner or Chris? And I love Brandon's response. But he was, who? Yeah. At first. And then he goes, <laughs> oh, Chris Pine. <laughs> he says, oh, Chris Pine. He goes, Shatner. <laughs> like, are you an idiot? <laughs> Shatner. Duh. And again, I don't think he meant anything against Chris Pine or anything. No, not at all. Really, if you're going to ask me about Kirk and then you're going to ask me this question, obviously at Shatner, he said he is the man. Yeah. The guy is great. He said, have you ever interviewed him? And of course, TMZ says no. (laughs) And he says he is great. (laughs) So answer your question right there. Yeah. Hey, I mean, come on. If you have the chance to have a drink with William Shatner, are you going to pass that up? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you want to get totally blasted, Chris Pine can probably take more shots with you. But if you want to have just a drink in a really nice intellectual conversation, you are going to drink with Shatner. Of course you are. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say anything about Chris Pine and how many shots he can do because I have no idea. And I think it would be fascinating to sit down and talk to Chris Pine. <laughs> well, and he It sounds also- like you're thinking more about... Kirk in the bar in the 2009 Yeah, that's true. That's true. And Chris Pine is probably very smart, and we could have a heck of a conversation with him, too. But you know what? Honestly, uh, as along with Marielle, our news editor, I would probably just be drooling over him the whole time. Just, <laughs> boy, you're cute. I think you, Marielle, and about 90% of the women in the Twitter stream where mm-hmm. I have the search for hashtag Star Trek, where Captain I just kind of watch what's going on. I see so many tweets about Captain Fine. Well, he's hot. All right. Well, let's go on to the next thing. You <laughs> mentioned sitting down and they asked this question to Brandon. And he said, I, I would want to have a drink with Shatner. Well, someone else who has sat down with William Shatner had meals with him, really gotten to know him, and can vouch for how great of a guy he is, is Vic Mignogna, who plays Captain Kirk in Star Trek Continues. And I recently had Vic 
along with James Carvin, who directed the third episode, the Mirror Universe episode, Fairest of Them All. And I also had Michael Prene Isbell from Condé Nast Entertainment, who did the Wired Obsessed Star Trek Continues behind the scenes documentary. I had them on Continuing Mission, and the show's out right now. If you want to go listen to it, it's Continuing Mission, episode 14, trek.film slash cm14. In the episode, though, Char, Vic told us a story about getting to know William Shatner, who, as Captain Kirk, was a childhood hero of Vic's, which is why he always dreamed of playing Kirk and why he does Star Trek Continues. And it's a really interesting story about getting to know somebody who's your hero, but never telling them that they were your hero until you've really gotten to know them over the course of a couple of years. That's fantastic. Now, as of when we were recording this, I have not listened to this podcast yet. So I really look forward to hearing this. This sounds fascinating. It's great. I mean, it, it was really touching, actually, because in the documentary, which everyone should go watch, by the way, at video.wired.com, We'll put a link in the show notes as well. Vic mentions that he was nine years old and his parents divorced and he discovered Star Trek. And Star Trek and Captain Kirk were really important to him getting through that time. So on the show, I actually asked Vic to tell me a bit more about what Star Trek meant to him during that time and why he said that in the documentary. And, and he told a really, really touching story and a very personal story about his connection to Star Trek. Yeah, I can't wait to learn more about this because it sounds like Star Trek came at a time when really, when he really needed something. You yeah. know, divorce is not, I think, uh, a good time and a happy time and an easy time for anybody who has to go through that process. No, of course not. Star Trek, it sounds like, was his salvation. And in mm-hmm. a way, Captain Kirk became a father figure to him. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So it's really, it's touching to hear him talk about it. So the documentary itself is five parts, and each part is what, roughly five to six minutes, maybe seven minutes, something Mm -hmm. like that. It turns out that Condé Nast Entertainment, they actually shot almost 40 hours of footage from the set of Star Trek Continues and the filming of Fairest of Them All. And they've distilled it down into those five episodes. Shar, you've taken a peek at those episodes. What did mm-hmm. you think about that? I thought this was absolutely fantastic. I mean, anybody who's watched Star Trek Continues knows that it's one of the best fan-made series out there. But after watching this uh, documentary, I have an even bigger appreciation for all that they do to make this series so good. The level of attention to detail they put into this, all the love and care. And these are not people who are getting a paycheck to do this. They're doing it because they want to and they love Star Trek. And they go to the nth degree to get everything perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. I I can't... I can't imagine how many hours and how much time has been put into this series, but I have a newfound appreciation for it. And honestly, today I wanted to just go through and watch all the Star Trek Continues episodes one more time, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So that's on my agenda for this week. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to notice even more little things that I might have not caught the first time. Yeah. What was your favorite thing in the documentaries that that they talked about? Oh, good question. Some of the stories behind uh, like little details that they have on the set, like the lampshade, 
for mm-hmm. that little thing in the corridor and whatnot. That kind of stuff fascinated me. Uh, maybe the best thing, though, was learning about the uh, the bottoms of the transporter pad, how those are actually camera cool. lenses. Yeah. I never knew that. Well, that was cool, first of all, and also the fact that instead of... Okay, tell me this, Char. Okay, hmm. You've watched the episodes. I mean, you've seen them on the transporter pad mm-hmm. in Star Trek Continues. If they had not gone to the the length of finding one of those original lenses, creating a mold of it to make those transporter panels, would it have detracted from the episode for you? If they had just kind of made something that looked pretty close? Mm. Would it have mattered to you as a viewer? <laughs> you know, for a long time, and I hate to admit this now, but this is the truth, I didn't take fan series very seriously until fairly recently when I started to notice how much production quality can vary. Some people do an okay job and they're doing it for fun and hey, more power to them. But then others are going to the level of detail that these guys are doing and it really does look and feel like an episode of the original series. Mm-hmm. And well, so, I think everyone, they, they want to make it as authentic as they can, mm-hmm, but they not do, everyone have the, has the resources to do it and the financial resources because they may not be making money off of this, but it certainly costs money to produce it. Oh, so absolutely. not everyone can, can do what they're doing on Star Trek Continues. But the reason I ask the question is that, yes, there are some people out there who would be watching it and staring at the transporter pad and saying, I don't think those grooves are exactly right. That's not <laughs> the original lens that was used. But it doesn't impact the story. And yeah. I think for most everyone watching it, they would never know. But the fact that they cared enough to go find one of those original lenses and make the the mold so they could reproduce them and have it be completely authentic shows just how much they love what they're creating mm-hmm. and will go to the ends of the earth to make it accurate. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It shows, I don't know, I think it's just a testament to just how good this series really is. The way they try to replicate everything right down to the finest detail Mm -hmm. with the lighting and the sets and I mean even their layout of their sets is the same as it was in the original Star Trek exactly Desilu they're using the original blueprints from the Desilu Mm -hmm. studios and actually built it all out so that the the rooms everything is connected the way it was on the set of TOS which is something you don't necessarily get in modern television or modern Star Trek yeah I think what this attention to detail does, Chris, is that it just brings a even bigger appreciation for what they're doing. Yeah. Because it's all from it's it's all pretty much just from a, a labor of love. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. how can we as Trek fans not appreciate that? Absolutely. Oh, especially us here on the network, right? Yeah, yeah. All the stuff we put out every day, I mean, it's something we do because we love Star Trek and and, and we try our best to make it the best quality that we can. And that takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're both kind of trying to do the same thing, just in different arenas. Right, yeah. With Star Trek Continues as well, what gets me too is that it's all the way down to the fact that although they're shooting this with modern camera equipment... They're making it look like it was shot in the 1960s, which is a lot harder than you might think. Because (laughs) just look at any modern TV show and HD is wonderful. I love HD. Mm -hmm. 
But there's something about the depth and the realism to HD video that that feels kind of odd to to people like my age of certainly who grew up with with dials that you turned on the television and nothing that even remotely resembled HD image quality. It's true. Yeah, actually one thing I learned from this documentary was again with the attention to detail, the fact that they're using the hard lighting in the way that they yeah. are has a lot to do actually with uh the look and the feel of the show. It's not something that's done anymore. But that's how right. they did it back then, so that's how they're doing it for Star Trek Continues. And I think a lot of these little details that maybe you don't notice the first time around, but if you go back and you really appreciate, as I plan on doing, <laughs> uh, they're a lot harder to accomplish than meets the eye, which is probably why a lot of people don't do it, Yeah. but they pull it off each and every time. They, they really, really do. So so go check out these documentaries. They're really interesting. They're really well produced. There are five of them. Again, they're at video.wired.com. You can click the series tab and then you'll see some different shows that they have and choose the one called Obsessed Star Trek Continues. And this is the first part of what will probably become an ongoing series for Wired called Obsessed, which will look at things not necessarily science fiction or Star Trek even, but kind of cult, geek Fandom. culture things, things that people do that out of their love for it, that they go to extremes mm-hmm. to produce. Uh, so go check that out over there. And again, continuing mission, episode 14. You can go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to Continuing Mission. It's my show where every week I interview people who create fan films. And we've talked about... Star Trek Continues and Axanar and Phase 2 and all sorts of other ones on there, Horizon, uh, and and a bit about games too. Like if you want to know about the Mm -hmm. making of Trexels or Timelines, I've got people in there for that as well. So go check that out. And uh, this particular episode is the current one, episode 14. Well, Char, that's all we have in news for this week. Again, not a lot in news. Before we jump over to the feature... We're going to tell you about a few things here, our sponsors, as well as our reviews promotion. So first off, our reviews promotion. You can win some great Star Trek prizes just by reviewing The Ready Room on iTunes and or Stitcher. We're giving away a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, some Star Trek novels of your choice. Also, Starship Collection ships from Japan and our artwork badges, a complete collection of those. And I'll tell you more about it at the end of the show. But all you need to do really is to review us on iTunes and or Stitcher and then go to trek.fm slash reviews and complete the form there to let us know that you've left to let us know that you've left the reviews and that'll get you an entry in the contest. Our sponsors for today's show, we have two of them. First is TrekFan. TrekFan is a Star Trek fan club, but it's really a challenge. They have so many things for you to do over at TrekFan. They have qualification programs in communications, engineering. They also have Nimbus 3, in which they say, what's the fun in building new things if you can't invite everyone to play along? Nimbus 3 projects are designed and built by TrekFan teams for everyone to enjoy, whether they're a member of TrekFan or not. Permission to come aboard is granted. So go check that out as well. One thing that TrekFan does is they bring people together in starships locally so you can interact with other fans and you can complete real-life mission objectives. There's also Starfleet Academy, which we've told you about before. TrekFan will send you a random Star Trek novel 
absolutely free. After you read it, you pass it along to a friend. You don't need to send it back to them. All you need to do is to write a book review and send it back to TrekFan. And if you go to their site right now, you'll see Starfleet Academy book reviews. And if you click on that, you'll find the form where you can send them your review and tell them what you thought about the book. There's also the Trek Author Project where TrekFan will occasionally commission a known Star Trek author to write an original story just for TrekFan members. And the first story is actually written by David Gerald, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles. Very cool. And that story is called Finding Monstro, and it's available exclusively to TrekFan members. So there's so many things for you to do over there at TrekFan, but best of all, it's absolutely free. So if you want to join, all you need to do is to go to FM trekfan.org and sign up and join and you can enjoy the advantages of being a member of trekfan again that's fm.trekfan.org and we really thank them for their support of the show and the network Shar, our other sponsor for today's show is audible.com we love our friends at audible they are the best source for audiobooks that you will find anywhere and as a trek fm listener you can get a free book of your choice just for trying Audible. You just need to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial and choose a book that you like absolutely free. And what we like to do every week, of course, is to recommend a Star Trek book for you to pick up. Shar, I know you had something you wanted to recommend today. What book is that? Well, this is a book that I haven't read probably since it came out and did not even realize that it was an audiobook form. So I'm actually really thinking about uh, downloading this. It is the original Star Trek Best Destiny, a novel by Diane Carey, deals with uh, James Kirk's or yeah, James T. Kirk's early life. And uh, of course, with the novels not being completely canon, <laughs> you can take it or leave it. But it, it actually is very... Uh, Similar in a way to, I would say, the Abrams verse, where Kirk's father is not dead, but he's estranged from his father, he's getting into trouble, he's not really doing so great, isn't thinking about the future, and then who but Robert April, not Pike, but Robert April in this book, That's right. changes yeah. his life forever and puts him on the track to become a Starfleet captain. And I remember reading this so long ago, I, th- I thought it was a great book then. And now I really want to download the audio version because it's narrated by James Doohan. Yeah, and he always does a great job with the narration mm-hmm. as well. So so yeah, it's not Pike, it's Robert April who dares Kirk to do better. Yes, in, in this, this universe, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I had this book in hardcover, I remember, but I also have not read it in ages. It's um, I think it was published 1992. So it's been around for quite a long time. Is it really that long ago? But it but it's a it's an interesting book. And again, yes, you can get it absolutely free from Audible in audio format and enjoy that as you go about your day, your work, your exercise, washing dishes, whatever it is you do when you like to listen to podcasts or audiobooks. And again, all you need to do is go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up for the trial. If you decide not to stick with the trial, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep Best Destiny or whatever book it was that you chose. But by trying out Audible, you'll really be helping us here at Trekafilm keep the ready room coming to you each week. When you try out Audible, the money we get from them makes it possible for us to host and distribute the show for almost an entire month. So that's a really huge help for us. So go check it out again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we thank Audible for their support of the show and the network.
According to Elaine Bennis, Tolstoy once said, War, what is it good for? And while she may have been wrong about the source of that quote, apparently Kirk shared the sentiment because when he encountered a planet that was at war with another, he took it upon himself to put an end to it, or at least to push the two parties involved to try to work it out amongst themselves. It was a taste of Armageddon, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And to help us do that, we have with us, as we do for every TOS show, our TOS editor, Landrew. Hello, Landrew. Joy to you, friends. Also joining us for the very first time on the Ready Room, co-host of Trek About, Eric Brazier. Eric, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. Good to have you here. So we're going to talk about A Taste of Armageddon today. And for those who haven't seen this episode, I can't imagine who you would be who is a Star Trek fan who's never seen A Taste of Armageddon. But just in case you haven't, the Enterprise is going to a planet, a mini R7, to open diplomatic relations. They get there. They find that this planet is at war with another planet in the system. The Enterprise and everyone aboard is declared casualties of war. And Kirk decides that he doesn't like this little computer simulated war that's going on and decides to put an end to it by destroying the computer systems that make it possible for these two worlds to fight a war and yet not completely destroy their civilizations. There's also a very naive ambassador along with them for the ride, which was a little TNG style, right, guys? It was like the the original Enterprise was on one of these diplomatic ferry missions. (laughs) Yeah, it it did seem like that. (laughs) Good call. Maybe that was the inspiration for the overall theme of TNG. I'm not sure. (laughs) What if we take a taste of Armageddon and we just do a whole series about it? (laughs) That's right. We'll just fly diplomats from planet to planet. No, this is a taste of Armageddon. So we're going to talk about this. And I'm glad to see that you all wore your Eminiar guard outfits today. Those are some really nice looking pants you've got on there. It's really hard to put these headphones on over that hat. (laughs) (laughs) But but I got my cone head headphones that were designed to go over giant heads. So okay. uh, we're we're good. Yeah, you're looking Great. good, buddy. I particularly like the legs where you have one leg that's a really bright color coming off the other shoulder. It's stylish. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. It rides up <laughs> in places that I don't want to get into right now. <laughs> well, don't worry, Landrew. The pain will go away once that area has been disintegrated. That's true. Yes, this is true. (laughs) All right, Landrew, you're our TOS guy. So kick us off here, your impressions of A Taste of Armageddon. You know, watching it again, I feel like Taste of Armageddon is one of those uh, classics. It's it's a TOS story that could really only be told in the era, but it's also like good sci-fi in that we're trying to talk to you, audience, <laughs> making it obvious but playing with it enough that you're it's still entertaining it i i it's still kind of an edge of your seat kind of uh you know kirk and spock and running around and you know spock doing the the you got a spider on your shoulder trick <laughs> and Don't you mean a multi-legged creature a multi-legged yes. <laughs> creature is on your shoulder Hoot! It, it's fun and it bounces around but it also is just like war 
You know, stop what killing is it good each for? other. Absolutely nothing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, you guys talk a lot about uh, TOS on your show, I think, don't you? So what do you think about A Taste of Armageddon? Yeah, we actually covered the show uh, a couple years ago on our show, and I rewatched it today in preparation for talking about it on The Ready Room. And I was really reminded of how good the episode is and how relevant it remains. You know, one of the things about the next uh, about the original series is that I think that some of the message episodes sort of lose a lot of their impact 50 years later. But war is one of those things that, while kind of cliche, is always a problem in the world. And so I think this one really holds up very well. Yeah, some of the messages are a bit simplistic for the modern world, right? But this is one that that does, it's always a problem for us. And it doesn't change that much. Come on, space hippies will always be a problem, you guys. (laughs) I'm sick and tired of everybody acting like that doesn't speak to people. Herbert, Herbert, Herbert. (laughs) I actually think this episode is even more relevant, possibly, than it was at the time. I think maybe uh, back then, I mean, with Vietnam going on, obviously, they were showing a message of war. But now we have drones that go to war for us. And I think that really Hmm. relates to what we're doing with this antiseptic war they've got going on over there, where it's all gunshots by computer and then people voluntarily disintegrate themselves. You're taking the humanity out of war as kirk yeah. said in the episode's conclusion since you're not actually taking the weapon and you see the blood and you see the person die uh you're you kind of lose a little bit about what you're fighting for in a way is mm-hmm. this good is this bad it it just is but i think honestly we're really headed kind of in this direction it's very relevant well you you lose sight of what you're fighting for for sure. I mean, we see that today and and not so much about Vietnam, but I think of of conflicts in the Middle East that have been going on for millennia. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's like, what are you guys really fighting about? I mean, are you fighting out of momentum? Because that's what it feels like a lot of the time. Like it's just yeah. the momentum. And that's what you get <laughs> in the taste of Armageddon with Vindicar and Amini R7 is they're fighting out of momentum. It's just, mm-hmm. it's we've always done it, so why would we not do this? Exactly. They don't know anything different. It's I mean, what we're talking generations and generations and generations. I mean, three losing three million people a year, usually planets in Star Trek aren't densely populated. We're talking like entire new generations of people every five years. Mm-hmm. That's pretty big. Yeah, one of the things I noticed about that in terms of the population is everybody on a Aminiar seems to have a number in their name, which may indicate yeah. that they yes. have a lot of children, perhaps, to kind of compensate for the fact that they're killing 3 million people a year, which I think mm-hmm. gives it another level of, of kind of this disturbing nature to the whole conflict. What True. would you think about this? This is not in the episode, and I'm just thinking about it as you talk there. What if... They remade this episode, and the story was that they were all clones, and this society mm-hmm. was cloning people in order to have enough stock to keep the culture and the society going, while at the same time sacrificing all these people every time the computer tells them they have to be disintegrated. I mean, I can definitely see that happening, yeah. It sounds like they'd be losing their humanity even further. We, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they they would have their culture, but there would be nothing left of of the humans. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like maybe that's something they could have gotten into 
like had it been a two-parter or something. Well, yeah. Okay, let's jump ahead in in the topic outline that we have and talk about protecting civilization, which I had later on, but that's actually what I was going to talk about is that they are, if, if that were the case, and even with what we see, I feel like they have lost their humanity. Um, Anand 7 tells Kirk that the civilization goes on, the culture lives on, even as we do this. We've done this for 500 years. But I really question if there's value in that. Is there value in maintaining a civilization if all you're doing is maintaining a civilization so that you can continue to fight this theoretical war and sacrifice people and maybe on the side, maybe, you know, you do art. I don't know. You, you create <laughs> this fashion that they have going there. You know, yeah. that's, that's the unfortunate <laughs> thing. Like if this were a novel and you could go into what the culture is really like, it would have a different impact on you. But just based on what we see here, it almost feels like there's no point in this arrangement that they have because what are they maintaining in the first place? Exactly. You might be preserving the culture, but what for? That's the missing piece, and it may or may not be relevant. Like, as you said, we just couldn't get into enough detail to really know. Or maybe it really just is such a void at this point that, really, who cares? Right. At this point, after 500 years, Anand's probably just preaching the party line. You know, we, we've got to keep culture mm-hmm. intact. That's what he was taught and his grandfather and his great-great-grandfather is we need to have this culture and it is the most important thing. And maybe they probably, because they were all going to die and have to, uh, you know, be in the disintegration chamber, I, I doubt that I would be wanting to preserve art or like create new culture. Right. I think that they, they, they may have been so intent on keeping the old culture that they sacrificed all the new culture that they could have been having had they actually decided to live and not just stand around waiting to be disintegrated. That's a really good point, Drew. Yeah, and it makes me wonder exactly how nihilistic the society may actually be. You know, we if if any one of us could be killed at any moment uh, for no reason, really, it seems to me that it would be unlikely that any sort of culture that would be worth preserving would, would be there even. And as an individual yeah. as well, I mean, I am a creative, that's my profession. I don't know if I would have the the motivation to create if I knew that three days from now I might have to walk into a disintegration chamber. Yeah. What for? <laughs> I think that's the big question. What for? What what is what is all this for? What is the meaning so, of life? <laughs> so maybe our opening quote was correct then. What is it good for? <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Culture, what is it good for? Yeah. You mentioned he might be preaching the party line, Landrew, and you you get that feeling actually at one point he kind of breaks down, like what should I do? Like he doesn't really know what to do as long as he can just maintain the status quo he just spouts stuff but when he has to actually make a decision and on seven really doesn't know how to deal with it i think that's a good demonstration of just how stunted this culture really is they just they're at a point where they're not even really thinking for themselves anymore they're just doing what they've always done because that's the way they've done it I was about to say, it really seems like they're all just going through the motions and, and they really right. haven't had mm-hmm. to do anything, you know, any sort of independent thought for, for yeah. perhaps hundreds of years, you know, and, and Anon 7's 
only responsibility may just be to make sure that everybody who was marked for death goes into these disintegration chambers and yeah. you know he may actually not need to ha- do anything at all it's a very complacent society so i would definitely go along with that i have another question just doing things the way it's always been done do you think that platform that their chairs sit on, is that something that they've just always done that way? Because it seemed like a trip hazard to me more than anything functional. <laughs> I, I didn't notice their chairs. Now they have this little platform, slightly curved, and the chairs sit there for the council. Uh-huh. And it's just big enough to hold the chairs. <laughs> and so why not just put them on the floor? Well, it's making hmm. it's making me wonder that, you know, with the chairs and the ridiculous costuming and the big hats and everything that, you know, since they are they, they may be killed at any moment, they may not care so much about functionality. And so this actually might oh. be a culture that has really decided to make their culture all about ostentatiousness and sort of even perhaps uncomfortableness <laughs> is sort of fashionable. Oh, <laughs> this is I their you culture. Were gonna go- <laughs> I thought you were going to go with uh, their their living dangerously, their dangerous hats. Because if I'm going to have to disintegrate myself tomorrow, I might as well live on the edge of fashion. <laughs> it's the flamboyancy of war. <laughs> I could see like if Lady Gaga were the leader of this culture. Oh boy, costumes, oh, she's yeah. on Triskelion. Oh, that's, that's true. Right. She is. On, she is there, isn't she? <laughs> but if she were here. Yeah. There'd be some crazy yeah. things going on, you bet. Talk about culture. Do you think <laughs> Star Trek, do you think the original series would have benefited, like they have their bar fight scenes, would they have benefited from some some song and dance routines as well in the middle of the episodes? That's why I love iMud. I was about to mention <laughs> iMud. <laughs> Good call. And that's also why you love the way to Eden, right? Well, yes, that, that's why I tolerate the way to Eden. Because it's like a music video. Dang hippies. Ladies playing that bicycle wheel. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Apparently this is Drew Defends the Way to Eden. I guess so. That's is the that, subtitle <laughs> of this episode. Is that going to be something that you guys are going to make a theme of Standard Orbit, the way that Earl Grey and the guys over there defend justice? I Apparently I'm going to have to watch Way to Eden a few more times and, okay. and, and make that a thing. I, I don't recommend that. This but. reminds me of the glorious episode, A Way to Eden. <laughs> Char, you mentioned earlier that you, we, we develop drones now, and we have drones that go in and fight our wars for us. Talking about the antiseptic nature of war, I mean, one thing that we've done, especially that the United States has done, and, and NATO and other powers with military intervention over the past decade or two is that we tend to fight wars from the air. Mm-hmm. We're very resistant to the idea of putting boots on the ground. So if mm-hmm. we can do it from the air where we don't have to actually get involved, then that's okay. But if we have to actually walk in and fight, then we think about it again. So the exactly. computers in this episode are a lot like the airstrikes of today, but then you mentioned drones, which is a fairly new thing that we're using, where now we don't even have people anymore. We just Mm -hmm. have these machines flying around. And there are also other things I've read before. I don't know how realistic these things are, but I've read before research by the U.S. military into holographic soldiers, for example, that you could project soldiers onto the battlefield. 
that's really going to the point where we're making war, we're, we're cleansing it of any potential for harm for our side anyway. Mm-hmm. And that leads to what we see in, in this story as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it. You said that if you actually have somebody on the ground, they have to look at the face of the enemy. And that is what makes you rethink war. You realize, oh, they're people too. I wonder if, but like we've been discussing, I don't even think that the, these people think of themselves as people. Mm, good point. Maybe not. Yeah. That's a good point. But, but I have a question about, about this computer system. So all of the attacks are theoretical. And Kirk says, after he blows up their computers, you better start building bombs so that you can bomb each other, you know, because now you can't do your, your, your little game. So they don't have any weapons. They just have computers faking weapons for them, whether it be tricobalt satellites or, or anything. I guess they do have the, the high decibel, uh, you know, shake the Enterprise apart in space thing that doesn't make any sense but but they don't have the missiles blow you up with sound i don't understand (laughs) but but what keeps what i've I've wanted this forever what keeps the other side from saying you know hey computer i've built a theoretical death star and i blow up the whole planet it is your destiny you just deploy new weapons it's like in-app purchases right Right. Yeah. They pay 99 cents and they can, you know, develop a new bomb that that kills even more people when right. they quote unquote drop it on something. Hmm. Guess they weren't smart I enough just, for that. Or maybe the computer only plays fair. And if the computer plays fair, wouldn't eventually the computer be like, wait a minute, what are you people even doing? The computer doesn't care. It's been busy for 500 years. I guess it's a job. It's a living. It's a job security <laughs> like a for the computer. Like a Flintstones dinosaur. It's a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. It's existence, then not much more. Do you also get the feeling that somewhere on MNER 7, there's this guy, Matthew Broderick 5, who just accidentally started this war, and now the computers are just going back and forth? <laughs> it's a little bit like war games. No. <laughs> That ref, I'm denying that reference. <laughs> it does make me wonder, I mean, how it did get started, though. You know, because if if they did actually have a quote-unquote real war with real weapons at some point, and this probably would have seemed like an improvement, you know, perhaps they had a very intractable peace process that just could not come to any sort of resolution. So this was sort of yeah. determined that this was going to be the best way to do it going forward. That, you know, I think really these are just sort of complacent people and they're just used to it. And there's no maybe even thought that that could be an option because why would we want a way to kill people more? Because then the, uh, what is it called? The the Vendrisians or whatever they are, (laughs) Uh, Vendicar, wouldn't, wouldn't, would do the same thing. And so we'd be right back to where we were. It's sort of a theoretical arms race, if you will. Yeah. Hmm. I I just don't get where that would come up in a conversation. Look, because I mean, they, they do pretty much say they they fought for like they've been at war for five hundred years, and she says for almost five hundred years we've been doing this theoretical thing. 
So there were a few years where they were launching stuff from planet to planet. One, how did it get started? And two, where does that come up in a conversation like, hey, wait, stop, stop for a second, stop for a second. What if we shoot each other with computers instead? Like, how did... How do you get to an agreement with that? How do you? They had to have had a level of trust 450 years ago. There had to have been some level of desperation too, because they see just how many of their people are being killed on both sides. But apparently, they don't want to end the war, and so this seems like a solution. Right, but they're still killing people. It's the culture. It's this culture above people idea that just doesn't doesn't make any sense it's like where's your where are your priorities what good is a culture without people there's no nah. don't ask the sidelines that that's true <laughs> yeah it does seem it, it reminds me a bit of let's just suppose that the cold war ended with the u.s and the ussr saying you know eventually we're probably going to shoot these things at each other, but it's going to blow up, you know, it's going to destroy both of our countries at the same time. Why don't we just get it over with and have this computer simulation and we'll pretend like we're shooting at each other and we'll just kill, you know, like 1% of our people every year. And then we could just go on with our lives and get, kind of get that out of the way. Kind of get that out of the way. <laughs> what would that accomplish? It's That had to have been the logic that they went with. But it just doesn't seem like it's war without purpose, which I guess is what frustrated Kirk so much. Is that mm -hmm. it's not like they they never talk about whether this is like an ethnic cleansing thing or a you know Hatfields and McCoys kind of you know or or a territorial dispute. It's not like Vindicar wants to take over the other place. It's they're they're just shooting at each other because it's fun. But it's lost its fun because they took out all the fun guns and bombs and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, doesn't Spock say very early on in the episode something about, uh, you know, this is war that doesn't, you know, sort of like destroy cities and it doesn't actually injure anybody. But, you know, he's not really realizing the, the full extent of what's happening. So, you know, extrapolating back 500 years, you know, who knows exactly how the war started and if they were launching fusion bombs, you know, perhaps after the first Endicar city was destroyed, they said, whoa, wait a second, we need to make sure that this can't happen because... If, if this keeps up, then our entire planet will be destroyed. And for whatever yeah. reason, however that happened, they decided on this as a solution instead of actually stopping the war. Well, I think that's what happened. But the question is, how do you, how do you come to the decision that we're not going to stop the war, we're just going to stop shooting the real bombs? It, it, that's the part that it's really difficult to understand how you would ever come to that conclusion that that's the right course of action and keep going for hundreds of years and that's where you get yeah. momentum and drew you said it sound it seems like war without purpose that's how i feel when i watch the news there's so much mm -hmm. of what goes on in the world today where it really feels like there is no purpose other than these people simply want to fight and yeah. so mm -hmm. it's almost like vindicar and and many are they want to fight, but they don't want the they don't want to dirty their hands with it. They they have found a clean way 
to fight. I also think that that this episode may have a lot to do with with the Vietnam War as well, of course, because that was well, really... Well, it, do, it does the, at the time. And I'm sure it did, yeah. I don't know the source of this, but according to Memory Alpha, David Gerald says that the computer tallies of the war dead in the episode are a statement about the Vietnam War deaths that were on the news every night starting in 1967. There's no source for that. I don't know where David said that, but that's what they say. And of course, we know there are other episodes in TOS that are commentaries on the Vietnam War as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, I, what I'm thinking of specifically is is sort of how Vietnam is, is seen as the first television war. And so people mm-hmm. were really, they were able to see exactly what was happening in Vietnam in their living rooms. And so this is kind of the next logical step in that. It's kind of saying, okay, well, if you can see what's happening you know, how, how do we how do we hide that or how do we sort of obfuscate that from the population to such a degree mm. that they'll keep going with the war? So it's almost the reverse of actually what happened in our society, but it's sort of a, a continuation of that, maybe on some sort of insane trajectory. So you're suggesting that the people themselves maybe wanted to end the war, but the governments didn't. So they found a way to hide what was really happening to get support from the people to continue the war. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe so. Yeah. Mm. Could be. Yeah. Well, they can have their war and and have their beautiful cities. Look at your beautiful city that you live <laughs> in. Isn't it great that we've allowed it to stand? That's right. Have now your go war disintegrate and your yourself. Too. <laughs> we live in a map painting. <laughs> <laughs> With two very slow the- trains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. 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 The matte painting apparently in this episode too was the, it was the last time that they actually put people, like moving people, into the matte paintings in TOS. Oh, okay. Little production tidbit there. Let's sort of rewind to how Kirk and the crew find themselves in the middle of this in the first place. Yeah, please. The Federation, the Enterprise is on its way to MNER Seven to establish diplomatic relations with the civilizations known to be there. And they've received this signal, which was code 710. And this was interesting. Like, they know it's code 710. So around the galaxy, is there there's some sort of standardized system where, like, we don't actually talk to each other, but <laughs> let's broadcast code 710, which means under no circumstances should you approach our planet. And yet... They're going there. So apparently the Federation has decided on its side alone that they are going to establish diplomatic relations with this planet. And proto-badmiral Robert Fox is going to make sure that it gets done. Now, of course, he's not an admiral. He's an ambassador. But he certainly has all the qualifications to be a badmiral. No doubt. Yeah, there's there's way too many... Uh, Warning signs. Okay, Federation. <laughs> we've got we've got two cultures. You know, there's a star system over there. There's a couple of cultures. They're spacefaring. They haven't left the solar system in a while. Why don't we see what they have to offer? Let's let's do some diplomatic relations. What's that? Oh, fifty years ago we sent a sent a crew in and they never came right. back. Mm-hmm. That is the one. Oh well, then there's there. there's still not going to be a problem. Let's like beam down a bunch of ambassadors. No, no. The thing is that it wasn't presented like fifty years ago. The Valiant went there and we've never heard from them again. Let's go find out what happened to the Valiant. 
It wasn't like right. that. Right. It was, we're going to go establish diplomatic relations. And oh, as a side note, oh yeah, someone went there 50 years ago and they never came back. Don't know what happened to them. Yeah, like that's such a forgettable they, part of the story. <laughs> they might as well have not included that. Right. Because it doesn't really affect anything except imply that the Valiant crew had to disintegrate themselves. Right. That was because Anon 7 says, like, it's just as it happened 50 years ago. It really makes me think about all those episodes of The Next Generation where some crew member from some ship is stranded on some alien planet and he says or she says, oh, you have to let me go or people are going to come looking for me. Well, apparently they're not. (laughs) Right. So, you know. (laughs) Maybe they shouldn't be so worried about the Federation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look at Voyager. You know, it was gone for like five years and they were just like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the Badlands. I don't know why I'm doing Let's put Barkley in charge. He'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what do you guys think about Robert Fox? Now, interesting tidbit in Generations in the script, the other ship that's with the Lacool that's getting caught in the Nexus is the Robert Fox named after this character in a taste oh, of is it? Yeah. So Although, apparently he did something good. I guess because based on how he acts in this episode, I mean, I wouldn't name a ship after him. <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. This, this guy reminds me so much of our, well, at least in America, are out-of-touch politicians who think they know what's good for people but really have no idea what the majority really does want because their interests are so different from everybody else's. They're like in a completely different hemisphere. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's the case for any country in the world. I mean, we've got the same thing in Japan right now where our government Mm. is making policies that like 70% of the public is saying no, it's Uh not what we want. (laughs) Okay. Well, whatever. It's good to know that we're not alone, sort of. Uh, but but I think that is what he's meant to portray. And we see that in TOS and we see it all through Star Trek that it's always the ambassador with the exception of someone like Sarek or Saval. When ambassadors come around or when admirals come around, they're always out of touch with reality and they're always there to throw a wrench into what's going on in the story. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that Scotty and McCoy immediately distrust anyone who's put in command that's not Kirk. Yeah. Even well, especially if it's Scotty. <laughs> like McCoy, it's, not quite so much. Like I almost get the feeling that McCoy would have, maybe he doesn't agree with Fox, but he would have gone, okay, I'm just, I'm the doctor. Though, so if you think it's best, whatever. Right. That's why he's not on the command track. Scotty's like, hell no, I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> We should lower the shield so we can beam down. No. That's what... Okay. Riddle me this. They're shooting at us. We got our shields up. That's good. Got our screens up. We need to lower our shields so I can... So we got to lower the screens so we can beam down. And then Scotty's like, no. And then the next thing we know, Fox beamed us down with his unfortunate aide, who gets... Is the only person who gets shot in this episode... Even the red shirts survive, but poor Fox's aide, he, he does not make it out. Well, how did they get down? If, so the ship did lower its screens to beam down the ambassador. Just nobody was paying attention, maybe? Well, the reason hmm. that Hadley and Brent survived as red shirts is because we needed them to dress up as guards later on in the episode. Mm. 
That's no, but true. they were dressed as guards when the aide got shot. I was like, oh, right, but that's guy. why they survived up until that point. That's why they didn't get taken out like right away when they get down there. Mm-hmm. And they weren't wearing their red shirts when they were getting shot at. Right. So. Yeah, right. Because That's the it. red shirts, something about the red fabric, it actually attracts phaser fire. It's sort yeah. of like invisible a phaser yeah. fire. That's right. So when they weren't wearing Even that, when they don't animate it. That's what they need. Like in Star Wars, what the stormtroopers need is they need the rebels to all wear red. That way they might eventually hit something. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Yeah. Darren's listening to us right now and saying, shaking his fist at us <laughs> because Darren, one of the hosts of our Earl Grey show, is now a member of the 501st and was marching as a stormtrooper this weekend. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible looking. When when Tamura beamed down with them, I knew she was okay because she's in a red dress, and apparently a red dress is not as dangerous as a, a regular red uniform. Even then, maybe it's the red with the black pants because she's pretty much just wearing a red shirt. It's just like pretty much what six or eight inches longer than the shirt. Speaking of of Yomen Tomura, were you guys disappointed that there's not an extended cut of this episode where when Spock leaves her in the room with Mia three and he says, "Knock her down on the floor and sit on her if you have to." <laughs> we didn't. Get I want to see know what that. happened after he left the room. That's TOS After Dark. That's that's only a, that's the Cinemax cut. Well, <laughs> Tomoda is one of my favorite incidental characters in all of the original series because she's so determined to keep that woman in that room. And, <laughs> right. and I, Boy, that look I, on her that face is like, don't you face, even like, try yeah. to get out of that chair. <laughs> yeah. I will kill you before I let you die. I think that she survives because uh, red shirt women are just more competent than the red shirt men. Okay, that's mm. what it is. So it's not the dress itself. It's it's the competency of the officer. Better trained. You have to be very self-confident in order to wear a skirt like that. Speaking of competency and incompetency, the guards that are in the high council chamber, are these not the most incompetent guards you've ever seen? Kurt turns around and just <laughs> knocks them all over by himself like bowling pins. They're ridiculous. Yeah, he takes he on grabs, three or four of them at the same time with no trouble He grabs at all. one gun and right. then they're all just like, oh, well, we give up. Yeah, they never retaliate. Well, he's sitting in the chair and the one guard starts to walk and then Kurt just Sticks his foot out a little bit, trips one of them, then stands up, spins around, and knocks the other three <laughs> down like bull. Oh. <laughs> that was a That's pretty... the least appreciated Kirk move. Just the <laughs> spin in my chair. That was pretty ridiculous. Oh, man. It's, it's really making me want some sort of novel follow-up to this episode to actually flesh out the culture here because it makes me think oh, yeah. that the, mm-hmm. the guards and everybody else just, they don't do anything. They don't practice. You know, they, they don't have any sort of training whatsoever because... Why? Who's going to attack them? They haven't They're actually had to right. fight anybody for 500 years. So, Well, I, I think that's a great point. I, I think that is what we see here, even though we don't see the culture. But what we do see does seem to indicate that they are just very passive because, like you mm-hmm. say, Eric, why bother? How long are you going to live? You know, just just yeah. relax, take it easy, enjoy the time you have. Yeah, they're just kind of broken down into submission. If you die now, you don't have to kill yourself later. And if you're guards on this planet, well, the Vindicar, they never come over. So 
who are you actually are you protecting guarding? people from in the first place? Yeah. People who don't listen to the code 414 message or whatever was being broadcast. <laughs> it's the intergalactic do not disturb of Skype. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Now, Kirk gives, speaking of, of numbers and codes and orders, he gives General Order 24 in this episode, which is apparently when a single starship destroys an entire planet. You mentioned Death <laughs> yeah. Star earlier, Landrew. I, I is, is this a real thing? I mean, I can't imagine the Enterprise. I, I can imagine the Enterprise destroying a city, but not the entire planet. Well, I think it was just talking about targeting all of the civil, all the cities on the planet. Not, not like wiping the planet bare, not glassing the whole planet. Well, like sure, but even Halo. if it's all the cities, you're going to just fly around the planet and destroy them one by one. I mean, I it sounded like something like, yeah. if I give the go on this, you're going to have no chance whatsoever because like that, you're going to be gone. Well, you know what? I think Kirk had a mantra in this episode, and that was, go big or go home. Because that's pretty much what he did. You want a war? You got a war. You want to see your cities destroyed? I will destroy them. General Order 24 coming right up everywhere. I I just hope that General Order 24 is named such because of the show 24. (laughs) <laughs> which I can't remember. <laughs> it would have been time travel, I think, but maybe. I would I would have to check with Mike to see if, yeah, do. if, if 24 takes place in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> but if it doesn't, then they watched 24 in the 20th century and they said, you know what? We need to name something after Jack Bauer. And, and so wiping an entire planet off the map whenever you want, we'll just call it the Jack Bauer or the 24. Oh, man. Please let me know the result of what Mike comes up with. <laughs> well, but Jack Bauer, he could save MNER 7 and Vindicar and three other planets all within one day. Planets who weren't originally in trouble until Jack got involved, right. but then he manages to save them anyway. <laughs> and one of the planets is a mole. I mean, it was full of moles. Mole people, mole men. And one of the planets, for some apparent reason, went goth. In the <laughs> version. You leave Chloe O'Brien out of this. <laughs> Chloe O'Brien, maybe she's maybe she's a distant relative to Miles. Maybe. Oh man, now I gotta find out. His yeah, gothy Does great 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 take great place grandmother. In the Star Trek universe. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone listening, that is an episode, a recent episode of Drew Show Standard Orbit. Unlikely TOS spinoffs, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think it was called Takes Place in Star Trek Continuity. Right. And Knight Rider is in there, right? Which I should have removed the colon. Yes. I should have removed the colon. So it was just Standard Orbit, Orbit 36 takes place in Star Trek Continuity. Right. You're, hey. you're, 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 you're Star Trek into Darkness. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. But then you would tell people that it's not a sentence. No. It's not, not a sentence. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's come back around to the message of this episode. Now, Watching this episode yesterday for me was interesting because I've, I guess I have watched it kind of recently because I was doing a TOS rewatch, but I've seen it a couple of times recently and then I used to watch it a lot long, long ago. And when I was a teenager watching this episode, I think I was much more just following what Kirk was saying because I was latched on to the message of the episode, which ultimately is that 
war is messy. And as we've been discussing, if you take the human element out of it, then you forget what you're fighting for and you forget that you shouldn't be fighting in the first place. And so, and, and that's a great message. One problem I have with this episode, though, is that I'm not sure that the message is actually presented all that well, because what we get largely is Kirk deciding on his own that a world that he has just encountered for the very first time has been doing something for 500 years. He doesn't approve of it, so he's going to take it upon himself to put an end to it, but not by bringing the sides together and trying to get them to talk, but by simply destroying the mechanism and forcing them to actually fight each other with real weapons or sit down and talk. But I think Kirk is being extraordinarily naive, just like Fox is, to think that his actions are going to result in the two sides coming together and deciding, let's not do this anymore. Because everything that we've seen suggests that these two sides can't talk to each other. They're not going to just sit down at a table, even with the help of Fox, who stays behind, and solve this problem. So basically, Kirk has taken two entire planets and pitted them against one another now with real weapons, and it may be the case that no more people will die in terms of actual numbers, but the way in which they die is going to change drastically, and both of these societies are going to be irreparably damaged by Kirk's actions. And he kind of laughs it off at the end, and he has this this look on his face, like, I've done it. I mean, I expected there to be a mission accomplished banner hung up. <laughs> I win. In the hallway, it, it's what it felt like. But but what I mean there is it, it felt like here's an easy solution and all you have to do is bam, bam, a little bit of intervention, it's done. And now these two planets are going to be much happier and now we can go on our way as well. I don't know, maybe... Uh... Maybe they did end up nuking each other, and uh, Fox died, and that's why the ship's named after him. Kind Maybe. of a memorial. <laughs> Maybe. I would be interested in a book, even if it was like a pamphlet. Like, five minutes after Kirk <laughs> left, they nuked each other. <laughs> oh, man. I've always thought that, that Kirk is more interested in authenticity than he is in sort of telling other cultures what to do. And... For for me, you can kind of see that in this episode and you see that in episodes like The Apple, for example, where he sort of feels like what is happening is 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 fake, is not real. And so for me, you know, I, I don't think Kirk is doing the right thing in this episode. But at the same time, I think he's more doing it from a place of if you want to kill each other, you're going to actually have to do the work of killing each other, which mm-hmm. is a which is kind of a strange thing, but I think that's more what he's going for as opposed to, you know, daddy's telling you not to do this anymore. Right. Yeah, but I think you're Kurt's right. But is it place to tell them that in the first place? That's my question. That's the thing. Yeah, is it really? I don't know, but he is giving them the shot in the arm that they do desperately need to end this conflict. But yeah, does he have the right to do that? Oi. I'm, I'm I don't know, man. Usually I... I, I justify Kirk's actions in this episode based on the fact that he's saving the Enterprise. But one, the Enterprise could fly away without him. Yeah. And two, he's got all the, you know, communicators and stuff. He could just say, hey, beam us up and then leave them to their computer war. 
this is a culture that doesn't necessarily need his rescuing, and it's not like the ship is in danger at this point. And they don't want his rescuing either. Right. Right. Mm. So did he cross the line I, here? Well, it goes back to the beginning where we talked about the Federation is establishing, trying to establish diplomatic relations with these people from their side alone. And these people are telling them, go away, don't come near our planet. And of course, you could debate whether they're saying that because they don't want to talk to the Federation or if they're saying that because they know that if the ship comes there, it might be caught in one of these mathematical attacks and they're just trying to protect people. It could be either way. Mm -hmm. But the Federation has not been invited to this planet. And so they come in and they get caught in the middle of the situation. And it's their fault because they came there. And as you, you just said, they could have left at the end. I mean, they have the communicators back. They could beam up to the ship and they could leave. But Kirk, and, and if you want to say Fox, I say just leave him. <laughs> I, mean, just, I think you asked earlier, how did he beam down to the planet? I think Scotty wanted to get rid of him and he lowered the screens just long enough to beam Fox down. <laughs> I think right. he did. You're just not, if you're are. not going to shut up, I'm just going to beam you down there. That's what he did. So the Federation's there. They're not invited. And, and Kirk could leave at the end. But then he takes it upon himself to decide the future course of this society. And I just personally don't think that those from the outside should interfere in another society in that way. But more importantly within this episode is that what we see on screen feels at odds with the actual purpose of writing the episode. The purpose of writing the episode, I think, has a great message if you're going to fight a war, you have to know what you're fighting for and the damage that you're causing. And if you can see that, you probably won't fight the war. That's great. But mm -hmm. Kirk's actions seem to actually work against the point of the episode. Yeah, I think yeah. What, I think what you're really seeing here is, you know, the the 1960s. I mean, this is really just kind of speaking to the environment that this episode and the show was created in that the idea was that America and sort of, you know, Western powers in general sort of could interfere with other nations and they would be able to do a better job than the people that live there. And of course we know now that that is not correct, but that was sort of the assumed cultural ideas of the time. And I, I think it's possible to, to have, you know, both of those conflicting ideas at the same time as I think you see in this episode, really. One thing that I am grateful for is the fact that Kirk didn't stop all the disintegrations and stuff because he fell in love. Like this, right. this episode, I think in yeah. the earlier drafts, that is the case, but it's, it's really refreshing to have a girl complete with the with the fuzzy filter and Kirk's just like look I'm just going to save your life and he doesn't have to make out with her he doesn't have to I mean this is one of those shows where you watch it and you're like oh the cliche and no it's not for once there's a few instances but yes this is yeah there's a few as yeah. in like one or maybe two and, <laughs> and I think it's some real willpower by Kirk because there's that point where Mia tells him I congratulate you on your instrumentation. And I was like, oh, be careful what you say to Kirk, <laughs> because he may take that as a common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It makes me think that there might be a deleted scene out there where she tells Kirk that she can't <laughs> date anyone who doesn't wear those hats. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wear the hat. So a few other things I found interesting in here is that when they get ready to beam down for the first time, they base the coordinates on traffic. The, the traffic indicates that this is near an official complex or an official building. And I was thinking that maybe it's just a sign that there's a McDonald's across the street from a Uniqlo, which is the case right down the street from my house. Because the traffic is just hell there. And if I were in a starship, I might think that that Uniqlo was like the high council chambers or something. Well, from that mat, it's it's apparently high traffic is the place where those two trains are. <laughs> I guess so. There's more than one train, which is an excess of traffic. Maybe so. Hmm. If it were a Uniqlo, though, they might actually, that's where you get those outfits with the colorful legs. Oh, Maybe yeah. I thought I saw I thought I saw pictures of some Japanese men yeah. style wearing that style now. Do you guys know what Uniqlo is? There are Uniqlo's no, in the no U.S., idea. but I think they're like in New York and San Francisco and places. It's basically like the Japanese equivalent of Old Navy. Oh, okay. Oh. The other thing, though, Drew, I don't know if you noticed, but your microphone just moved over a little bit. You know how I did that. I did it using telepathy because I am half Vulcanian. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's impressive that you, what's more like you made me do it, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Not, I not moved so much that hand. you moved it yourself. Yeah. That's impressive. I wish that could get us out of a ton of binds and not just the two that it's used in. Right. What did you think, Three. Andrew, Three. about Spock's incredible powers in this episode? Well, first it looks like he's just mind melding with the wall. He's just like, he's <laughs> yeah. got the finger thing going. He's just like, wall. And the poor guy's trying to shake it off. I just, it, it's like Heroes, the, the TV show. Well, we need somebody with this power to get this episode done. But uh, we don't want him to have that power all the time. Mm. So we'll either, we'll just forget about it. Or, or make it go away heroes would have somebody get depowered and they wouldn't have the power but for spock they're just like oh we'll never do that again it could be <laughs> useful for anything else any number of times and it's only used a couple times and they really should not have ever done that and thought of something different yeah this is early on and i think they just don't yet know what vulcans are which is of course why they continue to call them vulcanians from time to time mm -hmm. but do you think that there's a little bit here of the feeling that this is sort of magical and we don't want to have a magical power? Because later we get, like, if you have to touch the face, then, which is what we get later, which I've seen some people call touch telepathy, although I don't, is that a real thing? I mean, telepathy kind of happens over a distance, so I don't know. I don't but know. maybe, like, if you can touch and you get these, certain, then you can, like, gain some I mean, with like connection nerves, maybe but nerve the, endings with nerve endings yeah, maybe the, physically through the air thing it just seems magical yeah it's the force <laughs> they didn't want spock to use the force they could see star wars coming that's and they didn't want to get sued by lucas that's right <laughs> I, I i actually wondered if spock was a jedi who somehow crossed over into our own galaxy <laughs> Time traveling George Lucas comes back and says, No, I made that up. No. Because let's not forget that while for us in the movie theater, Star Wars came later, all that stuff happened a long, long time ago. 
Yes, and and with one with one little throwaway line, JJ can tie Star Wars and Star Trek into the same universe. That's right. Which you can find out in episode thirty seven of Standard Orbit. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do final thoughts and do our ratings. Shar, what are your final thoughts on this? I think uh, certainly this episode is very relevant to what we are doing today with our military actions and war. And, I, you know, for an episode that's darn near 50 years old, I'd say that's pretty good. Yeah, it's got some some strange or questionable things about it, but... It is entertaining and it does have a good message. So I will give it seven disintegration chambers. Very good. How about you, Landry? Like like I said when you, you asked the general thoughts at the beginning, I I feel like this is a really good episode of Star Trek. I uh, the original series at least. It's got it's got the action, it's got the science fiction, it's got the message, it's got Kirk, it's got phasers. It's got Kirk blowing up computers. The only thing it's missing is Kirk kissing girls, and but you do get the fuzzy filter. You do get the 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 <laughs> the, the out of focus ladies, which is which is always welcome. He sees her with yeah. dreamy eyes, that's for sure. And the dresses that are on somehow, but it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> and Uhura's just not wearing pants at the beginning of the right. episode. Just, yeah. just legs. Yeah. It's just the bridge is full of leg. <laughs> which is which is very nice and very TOS. Um but yeah, I I really like this episode. I uh, I don't think I've ever included it on any of my, you know, must-see lists, but I I may have to move it up there. Uh especially now that Shar you you mentioned all this uh the drone stuff. I I really feel like it is even more relevant today whether or not Kirk's result is the right one it at least gets people thinking and discussing discussing mm-hmm. like what we're doing today. Truth. So so I would give it a eight and a half Vulcan force mind tricks. Very good. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I'm with Drew. I uh, never really include this in any top 10 list, but I think this is a second tier original series episode, definitely. And, you know, like a lot of original series episodes, if you start, talking about it 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 may fall apart a little bit on some logical basis but as an allegory i think it's really really strong and it's one of the tos episodes that i think still has a lot of relevance you know to to our society today and it also is kind of funny in some parts so i think it's pretty much your classic uh example of a good tos episode so i will give it eight tall hats very good you know, for me, I think this is an episode that I generally in the past have put on my top 10 or maybe top 15 list of TOS episodes. It's certainly one of the most memorable ones for me. Maybe the visuals, the the strange, the door shapes and the color splashes on the wall down in the high council facilities and the disintegration chamber as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys really read our show notes carefully today, but... Shar, who is playing Disintegration Chamber 12 in this episode? <laughs> I, I have a guess. <laughs> it had to have been Jeffrey Combs, correct? It was Jeffrey Combs. He is everywhere. Then okay, didn't I didn't even, even look and I knew him, it. I barely <laughs> yeah, recognized barely him. Barely <laughs> recognized him there. He's he a, a master job. disguise. All that makeup. Yeah. Uh, luckily, he wasn't injured when they set him on fire also. Thank goodness there. <laughs> That's good. That's good. 
No burns, no scars. That was stunt Jeffrey Combs. It was his stunt double, yes. (laughs) So... But I've always enjoyed this episode. It's It was, as I said in our discussion, interesting to me watching it again, just because as I've grown older and my views of things have changed, and the fact that you know I have a very different perspective on things than a lot of people that we have in our discussions, just because I have lived abroad for so long, so I see things from different from a different point of view, just from where I'm located. My take on the episode is quite different now than it has been over the years. I do think it's really, really relevant. It shows how we don't change. Like we think we evolve as a society, but we don't. And our conflicts just remain the same. I think we have a little bit more restraint these days than we did 50 or 100 years ago in terms of getting into just all out conflicts that are truly going to destroy the masses. But overall, we haven't changed very much. And this never-ending war that's going on mirrors stuff we see today. Kirk's actions mirror actions that we would see people take today as well. So the episode stays very relevant. And, you know, I don't I don't agree with what Kirk does, but I can certainly understand how he would make that decision. And and the Federation might make that decision. I'd like to know if he got raked over the coals when he got back uh, for doing that, yeah. but probably not. <laughs> you think Temporal Investigations is upset with Kirk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Imagine what the diplomatic corps thinks. Because, I mean, we see the Federation doing stuff like this 100 years later from Kirk's time, so they, they don't learn either. I guess that's the constant of human nature that we get through this episode. So I'm going to give this episode eight naive ambassadors. Fantastic. All right. Well, Landrew and Eric, thanks for joining us today. Eric, before we go, tell people where they can find you around the internet and tell us a little bit about your Star Trek podcast. Yeah. So thanks for having me. It was great. Um, I do a Star Trek podcast uh, with my co-host, Richard Goodness, uh, and it's called Trek About. It can be found at smallbatch.fm. And basically, the conceit of the show is that I am a huge Trekkie and uh, Richard really does not know much about Star Trek. And the show has been going on for about two years now and he's becoming a bit of a Trekkie, but I wouldn't say that he is a Trekkie by any stretch of the imagination. So he gives kind of a fresh perspective to uh, the Star Trek that we all know and love. That's an interesting premise. But yeah, I guess the nature of the show does change after two years, right? Because he's not the the fresh it it reminds me of maybe the x-files like like he was the doubter and Ah. and now he's becoming when you get murdered eric he's going to (laughs) take over the show and there's going to be a new skeptic who comes in well i i always joke it'll be the t-1000 I always joke with him that eventually, you know, the show in two years is just going to be us discussing the gross gross tonnage of starships or something so that may actually happen (laughs) Well, if that happens, you can have Daniel Prue from Earl Grey on to talk about nacelles. Mm-hmm. He, he, he is he a can, nacelle man. He, he can fill a whole Nacelle's. hour Nacelle's. with nacelle talk for you. Ah. All right. More ample, the better. <laughs> All right. Well, again, that's you said smallbatch.fm. That is correct. Is the URL and then iTunes and all the, the usual places. Yes, it's all over iTunes. All right. Yep. What do people want to find you personally? Are you on Twitter and elsewhere? 
Yes, I am. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's Eric Brazier, uh, B-R-A-S-U-R-E. And you can see me tweet about a lot of random things. I'll probably scare you, but I'm very nice. Don't worry. <laughs> very good. <laughs> All right. And Landry, what do people want to find you? Well, you can find me every week on Standard Orbit, the TOS show where I talk uh, with Mike Schindler about TOS concepts and cliches and things recent episode is 36 is the one that takes place in star trek continuity and uh i really enjoyed that discussion so uh, i'd suggest check it out check us out every week it's uh, always a good time it is and you can find me on twitter at double o five d-o-u-b-l-e-o-f-i-v-e and also, Landrew, since this is a TOS show today, I want to direct everyone to your guest appearance on The Orb, where we talked about Move Along Home, the DS9 episode, as a TOS story and what yes. that would have been like. And I think we actually made Move Along Home a lot better by putting TOS characters into it. Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> you have to check it out. So that's episode 43 of The Orb. And it's called She's Really Good with D20s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks ah, again for times. joining us today, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. Well, Chris, I think that was a great discussion that we had about A Taste of Armageddon with Landrew and our new panelist, Eric. And uh, boy, I tell you what, I am uh, I'm a little suspicious of drones now more than ever. Are they just going to disintegrate me? Oh, they might, yes. You have to climb into the disintegration drone. (laughs) But I have to do it voluntarily, so maybe maybe that'll keep me out of this. I I would stay out of it if (laughs) I were you, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation as well, and it was great to have Eric on, and uh, great to get a different perspective from someone else who Mm -hmm. does a Star Trek podcast here on the show, on this episode as well. And I thought Eric had some really good points there, which uh, I needed to hear because, I, like I said, I was watching this episode and I was kind of like, Kirk, can't believe what you just did. I hope that cleanup ship is in orbit. They've got their work cut out for them, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, A Taste of Armageddon is not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard orbit. I mean, to be fair, the commissioner has a point. You know, he's talking about how I think it's millions of lives are in jeopardy because they need to get this vaccine to them. And Kirk is like, this is a pretty crazy looking nebula. We should probably take a look at that thing. Earl Grey. Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the (laughs) Enterprise. Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) The orb. It's never clear, like, is Kostomojan, is that the name of a person from long ago, or is it the name of a group of people? And so you're saying that in the prophet's language, Kostomojan is the name of the paw race. Right, that's what they call the paw race. The ready room. Sean Piller did a great idea. He was 23 years old when he wrote this episode. He solved a problem that the other writers had been struggling with for years. To the journey! Think about how horrible it would be perceived by the audience to see Neelix beaten up 
ruthlessly. Some people would really enjoy that. That's true. I'm talking about normal people with hearts and souls. Okay, so those people. <laughs> Warp 5. You know, Spock and Tuvok are two Vulcans. And so I feel like if you brought 10 more into the room to say that they're all going to be the same is really a boring race. Commentary, Trek stars. This means that really now sort of the, the three of us are responsible for really getting the movie to, to, to what it's going to be. And, and there's a thing, okay, but the movie we write is the movie that's going to get made, which is a really cool feeling, actually. Continuing mission. I wanted to tell a small story about people. Uh, I just felt like, let's let's talk about the people. Let's give the people a personality. Let's create a three-dimensional character. Melodic Treks. But Jay, when J.J. Abrams came on, he was like, just in like casual... <laughs> T-shirt and jeans. T-shirt, and, yeah. And because he'd just come from the set of... Star Wars. Yeah. Literary Treks. What happened to all of the artificial intelligences? Where'd they go? 70 years had gone by. I think by. Kirk killed them all. He talked them he all did. to death. Yeah, yes. he had talked, he them, talked all to death. them all to death. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new shows for you every day of the week. In fact, these days we have two or three shows for you. You can get them all in the Trek of Film Complete Master Feed, or you can get the individual show feeds, and you'll find those everywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, all the different places. We're all over the place. We're on SoundCloud now as well. And Shar, we get quite a few people listening to the shows through SoundCloud. That's pretty cool. Just when I thought we had it on every single platform <laughs> available, you find one more and bring in that much more of an audience. Yeah. Well, honestly, I tried to use SoundCloud when we launched the network, but their pricing structure back then was insane. And it would have cost us oh. an unbelievable amount of money to get hour-long podcasts on there. But uh, they've become the I podcaster's see. friend recently. And so now it's quite economical for us to get on there. Yeah. That's good. All right. If you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, be sure to leave us a review. As I mentioned during the news today, we're doing a reviews promotion. All you need to do to get in the drawing for these great Star Trek prizes, which include a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, Star Trek novels of your choice, official Starships collection ships from Japan, our original art badges, is to review one of our shows. You can review as many shows as you like. Of course, you can only review each show once, but you can review that show on iTunes and on Stitcher both, and that'll count as two entries. And you can review all 16 of our shows, whatever it is that you listen to. You can also review the master feed, and that'll count as an entry as well. So you can review multiple shows there. Uh, One review, but you can talk about different shows on the master feed. Once you leave the review, you need to go to trek.afilm slash review and complete the form there. We'll ask you who you are, what your screen names are on iTunes and Stitcher so we can match your real name up to the review. Also, which shows did you review? Where did you leave them? And if it's iTunes, which country you left them in as well? We need to know that. That's all there is to it. And each review you leave will get you an entry in the drawing. Winners will be selected at random from all entries that we receive by midnight Pacific time on July 31st. We'll announce the winners shortly after that. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to leave some feedback on today's show, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. On G+, search communities and you'll find us there. 
We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can leave us a voicemail through the website. And we have a contact form at trek.fm slash contact. If you complete that form, that will come to us by email. Now, Shar, when you're not running recordings of your friends' voices through the computer to find out if it's really them, where can people find you? <laughs> and I do that often, definitely, yeah. It's a hobby. <laughs> you can usually find me chattering about with those friends on Twitter, and my handle is OlaProfanity. But also be sure to catch me and co-host Tristan Riddell, the international sex symbol Tristan Riddell, <laughs> people. We're doing To the Journey every Thursday, talking all things Voyager. Every time I see a news story about the ISS, I think it's about Tristan. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you would like to find me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. I have my own website, cbrianjones.com. And then on the network, you can find me on a lot of different shows. I already talked about continuing mission earlier in the show today. You can also find me on the Orb, Literary Treks, Warp 5, and Hyper Channel, and also Matterstream, which is an occasional show I do with guests to talk about science and social issues and things like that. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you about our sponsors for today's show. First, there's TrekFan. Go to fm.trekfan.org. Find out all the great things they have waiting for you there. It is a Star Trek fan club, but it's also a challenge. You're going to really love taking your love of Star Trek and putting it into action there. Again, that's fm.trekfan.org. Be sure to use that special URL so they know you heard about it here on the network. Also, visit audible.com and get Best Destiny or any other book you want absolutely free. As a Trek Film listener, you can get a free book of your choice if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial. If you decide not to stick with the trial, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that book. But by supporting Audible, you'll be supporting the Ready Room. Your support of Audible really does make it possible for us to bring the show to you every week. So check them out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for supporting the show and the network as well. Well, Shar, I'm going to go head back down the colorful corridor because I want to find out if Yomen Tamura really is sitting on top of Mio 3. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Let me know. I'm, cu- I'm just kind of curious. I think it's time to stick General Order 24 in this one because the ready room is done. How can you be so cruel? Why must you enforce this rule? How can you watch them all leave? So nonchalantly
With General Order 24, the ready room may really be done, Char. <laughs> if executed, yes. <laughs>